I am delighted to have with me on today's show Kate Locke and Rachel McKeown. And I am going to allow the two of them to introduce themselves as incredibly accomplished travel writers. Kate, over to you. Hi, I'm, I'm Kate. I am a freelance travel writer, editor and brand consultant. And before that, I was an editor for the Soho House Group and um, a digital editor for the Evening Standard in London. Fantastic. And Rachel? Hi, I'm Rachel McKeown. I'm the travel editor at Goop.com. I was born and raised in Dublin, did a few stints in London, then LA and back again. And uh, currently I'm working from home in Dublin. Fantastic. So you're in Dublin and Kate, you're in Kent and I'm in London. So we're doing this all remotely and figuring out this new wonderful way of working, (laughs) which is fun. Kate, tell me a bit about how you landed in travel journalism. Well, I, I was thinking about this. I can't, I can't say that I sort of grew up wanting to be a travel journalist. I think I spent most of my summers as a child in soggy Cornwall and didn't stay in a hotel till I was about 20 or no, probably 18. I always wanted to be a writer and I was working at the Evening Standard. Mainly um, I launched the going out section, which is sort of much more about food and drink, restaurants and bars. And that was really my kind of hunting ground. And then I I asked to set up a sort of new lifestyle channel, which included travel, and it just quickly became the sort of area I was most passionate about. And I've always loved learning languages and history and other cultures and about other people. And I suppose it all really boils down to storytelling. Um, so that's it, it's sort of by accident, slightly by design. <laughs> that's the best the way the best things happen. And I guess mm. if you've got art and history and culture and food and all of this, it's all rolled up beautifully in travel so it's it's exactly it all up Rachel what about you was it always the end goal no I can't say that it was um my dad works in the aviation industry so I kind of grew up on the plane but I actually wanted to be a foreign correspondent you know reporting on global conflicts um I came but Mm. I always I always deep down wanted to be a writer but I did come to the travel aspect in a roundabout way um, I was living in work in London, working in product development for a wellness company, doing a bit of copy here and there. But a very good friend of mine from school lived in Los Angeles, and I dip over and back and got to know all of her friends. One of whom worked at Goop, and um, I was introduced to the company through her. They were looking for a travel editor, and the rest is history. So it kind of found me more than anything else. Gosh, that's really interesting. So it's particularly apt for talking about how to get into travel writing because you didn't. Neither of you necessarily aimed for it. It kind of ended up there, which is brilliant. And this has been a really traumatic year for the travel industry. Um, Kate, I know you went freelance this year, but before I come to that, Rachel, how did you adapt your role uh, with producing travel content this year? I mean, it was from one day to the next. We Once the global lockdown really kicked in in March, we scaled back our travel content hugely and just went into sort of survival mode of what do readers want? What can we write to service our community and our readers? So I pivoted to writing wellness content for a few months, doing a lot of armchair travel pieces, trying to spotlight, you know, uh, cool travel companies who were really doing something new in the space, like Indigare, we're doing their virtual experiences, virtual safari. There were so many interesting innovations during the time that I really tried to highlight. And then, of course, we really zoned in on trying to uplift the restaurants and businesses within our city guides who are offering takeout. Like We basically tried to make our travel content as local and serviceable to the reader as possible and put the big international stories to the side. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. 
And as a going into freelance, Kate, this year, how's that been going? <laughs> Initially, I was I was pretty worried because I I left my job at Soho House almost exactly as the world exploded and lockdown came to the UK. But actually, um, it's been good. I think it's about when you go freelance, having a lot of strings to your bow and not putting all your eggs in one basket. So I do a lot of consultancy and editing as well. But in terms of writing travel, I actually found that despite the fact people couldn't move around, there was still this really big appetite and like which we're saying for this kind of sense of armchair travel. And even just in a small way, I, I started posting these stories on my own Instagram kind of really kind of colorful about these moments in time from my travel pictures and people really responded to them. And I actually got a commission off Yolanda Edwards, um, the YOLO journal for one of them. So it kind of, kind of got it through to me that actually, despite the fact people couldn't move, there was the same, like, you know, traveling vicariously was almost just as important. Yeah, of course, absolutely armchair travel and where you're dreaming of going as soon as you can possibly, you know, get on a flight. Do you think exactly. travel journalism will change post-pandemic? Um, I think I think a couple of things might come out of it. I think um, there'll be a lot more focus on kind of domestic travel journalism. Obviously, once we could, um, you know, the London restrictions, uh, the UK restrictions loosened up a bit, I noticed people who would never consider going to Cornwall, Scotland, Wales, who would usually be on the Amalfi Coast, all sort of exploring Great Britain. And I think that's a really nice thing to come out of this is people really appreciating their immediate surroundings and not. And obviously, that's much better for the planet and great for, you know, the all the sort of small businesses and hotels around the country. And I think sort of on that note, also, I hope that people take a slightly more aware kind of heightened awareness or, you know, sustainable approach to their travel. Sort of really think about more like slow tourism. So rather than ticking things off a bucket list all around the world, maybe it's really thinking about where they want to go, what that impact of them going might be on that place connecting with people when they're there and having authentic experiences and I think people have just learned to come so to sort of slow down this year in general and I hope that continues into into how they travel yeah I agree completely I hope it I hope those lessons kind of linger on to the coming years and people don't suddenly go it's manic again and just you know dip into that crazy world of travel what about you Rachel what do you think yeah, I totally agree with Kate. I think, you know, tick the box travel might for many be a thing of the past. And I hope that instead of focusing on newness and what's buzzy, et cetera, you know, the travel media industry will zone in on the people, the properties and experiences, doing things the right way, you know, thoughtfully, with consideration for the environment and surrounding communities. I think traveling slower, but for longer will be will be huge and I think as travel journalists well for me anyway this year is about finding those really unique properties and really special people who have been doing things right for a long time and will continue to do things in the right way and distilling that down for the reader you know I think hopping on a plane to Paris for the weekend might be a thing I, I mean I hope it's not a thing of the past but I think it will be something that people do far less frequently and instead it'll either be about you know, keeping things more local, especially if you're feeling particularly anxious about travel or deciding, you know, I always really wanted to go to India. 2022 is the year I'm going to do that. And I'm going to spend the next year planning the most incredible three and a half week long trip to Rajasthan that I always dreamt of doing, like if not now slash 
2022 when you can get around to it well then when so I think it'll be a mix of us kind of zoning in on what's cool and what's happening locally and also telling people how to really maximize out their one big trip that they might do a year now versus a ton of smaller ones but I've certainly been exploring the UK more for places that I just never went to which is terrible mm. right at your doorstep yeah. and we have you know at our foot everything that's so wonderful and beautiful properties and yeah as you've said considered travel Kate you mentioned social media and Instagram and putting stories up I'd love to hear about what you think as travel writers um, about uh, Instagram specifically because I I think that's probably the most impactful when it comes to travel the pictures and and that inspiration and maybe how that affects, affects you as a travel writer or inspires your work I think it's, um, to be honest, been my most useful resource. I know there are lots of ways that Instagram can be a negative place in that it can cause kind of over-tourism and and this, and things like that. But I actually think in terms of, I would say I, I take a lot of my inspiration. I've, I've created a really kind of valuable network through there. I've made sort of travel friends from there. I've connected with other editors. I've connected with... Um, hoteliers and stories have then come from that so I think if if you're sort of somebody who's looking to get into it then Instagram is is an incredible and free tool that allows you to build a really powerful network within a very specific industry um, but I, I I really love kind of small family run or passion project hotels and I have discovered pretty much all of them via Instagram um, and that forms the basis of, of a lot of my stories. So I, I'm very grateful to Instagram. <laughs> I think it's a tough one for me with Instagram because on the one hand, I do completely agree with Kate. It's an amazing way to connect with people and to see what's out there. But then on the flip side, I think being, you know, as consumers of social media, we're all now so overexposed to beautiful images, to seeing these incredible experiences depicted on a screen and I think sometimes that can downgrade the specialness of doing those things in person mm -hmm. you know it's all well and good to look at pictures of people in land cruisers you know soaking up scenes full of elephants but actually doing that in person and you know planning to have that experience yourself is so completely different I think it can both increase people's appetite for travel but also make them feel sated at home which currently is great because so many people can't go anywhere but in <laughs> general terms I think sometimes can be a negative thing but then on the flip side I think if you are someone looking to get into travel journalism like now there has never been a better time to get into it especially if you're looking to write for American publications and you're in Europe because you have much more freedom of movement here than they do and, and as well like we've never had more access to people every author incredible journalist etc is now doing Instagram lives there's nothing stopping you from tuning in from maybe DMing that person not immediately after but maybe 24 hours after to thank them for their time and for the information they gave maybe connect with them I think on the flip side Instagram also opens up access to people that are were previously completely inaccessible which can be great for the industry too yeah I think um I I get a lot of people contact me on Instagram and I contact a lot of other people myself and I think it's so much better than or can be in the right context better than an email um so I, totally agree. I think if I think don't be afraid as a sort of budding travel journalist of, of just like Rachel says DMing someone and seeing seeing where it takes you that's really helpful to know that you're open to communication via Instagram as opposed to an email mm. or something else I think it can feel much more natural and 
much more informal. But I mean, obviously, if you're reaching out to people through Instagram, it's like try and have a reason to reach out to someone rather than just filling up people's you know, DMs and try and do it in an authentic fashion. But I do think there's just a lovely informality to it versus mm. opening up your inbox to 30 kind of cold emails, which it's just that it feels much more daunting to play through that than to just send a quick little message back to someone via Instagram, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, agreed. Rachel, you talked about being uh, an American publication travel journalist. Does that guide the content you publish? Uh, yes and no. I mean, uh, f- for us, like great content is about having a point of view and, you know, distilling what's awesome and what's not for the reader. So on the one hand, yes, of course, you know, writing primarily for an American publication with an American readership dictates, well, currently anyway, what we would cover because our main readership can't really go anywhere. But at the same time, you know, I think our readers look to us for us to tell them what we think is wonderful and interesting and exciting and and cutting edge and new. And so I spend most of my time thinking, what would I really want to do? Where would I really want to go? And I try and sort of package that up all beautifully for the customer. But I think at the same time, we do obviously service the reader. And our city guides are a really good example of that. You know, and I always think about the main readership with them. If Americans are coming to Dublin, for example, it's like, listen, American Express is not really accepted you need cash for taxis things like that so I would say it's a yes and a no that's really helpful um Kate did you find or do you advise time working for a newspaper is beneficial for writing or editing or training and experience so yeah I spent seven years at the evening standard and I was actually the first ever digital hire um and I worked across the paper and the web and the website but primarily on digital and I would say that it it was an incredible experience, especially the digital side, because it's it's so fast paced. Um, you have kind of three daily stand ups where you have to react to really that day's news and and content. And I had a team of eight people who were all writing, I don't know, five to five stories a day and I was editing. So it's a huge volume to kind of of ideas, both both to generate those ideas, write them, edit them, get them online. Now I'm, I love working at a slower pace and really researching and interviewing and, and talking to people, but I'm fully aware that that training, it just makes you make decisions fast. There's no time to flap um, and all of these things. So it, it's definitely a very good training ground. Do you have any tips on pitching? This is from your newspaper days and Rachel from now as well, uh, receiving or sending out pitches. Days of the week, times, is there any difference between print and online or any advice on that? I would always say um, for sort of print and online, if people are working in, in office, then I would, um, I think maybe more slightly more receptive on the sort of Monday, Tuesday days because um, they tend to just be more thinking ahead planning days that's a lot of winding down sometimes on Fridays so I would avoid I would avoid the end of the week I would say probably mornings are always better I wouldn't say there was a huge amount of time between print and digital but it's really just about learning the really specific lead times of the of the place that you're contacting you know obviously if it's a magazine versus a digital daily platform it's it's going to have very different lead times um, and just really trying to make connections with those with those editors yourself, you know, ask them for a coffee or a Zoom in the, in the case of maybe now. But mm. um, just really connecting with them, it, it makes it a hundred times more likely that you'll get a reply if you put some kind of face to face effort in, I think. 
And Rachel, for Goop, do you plan content quite far ahead, even though it's digital? We do. Yeah, we do. I mean, bigger pieces or, you know, something to do with brand partnerships oftentimes would be planned months ahead. But definitely we have everything planned for the most part with with weeks of space in between, you know, researching the story, writing the story, the editing process, the fact checking process, then design, build images. So much goes into creating a gorgeous online piece. But at the same time, I agree with Kate, like I've never had the experience of working at a newspaper. I would have loved that experience. I think sometimes not necessarily with the production of a piece, but with the writing of a piece, the luxury of time can can ruin it because you overthink, you're faffing, you overcomplicate things, you overwrite. I think to have have that discipline to just have to get it out, you know, three or four pieces a day definitely would <laughs> do go well towards making you like a stellar writer. But no, yeah, we would have everything planned. Definitely weeks and oftentimes months in advance. And do you accept contributors or you have your in-house team and that's where all the content comes from? We don't really accept contributors. We have a couple, but for the most part, we have a fairly robust content team and we produce, you know, 99% of the content in-house. However, that's not to say that I don't get sent tons and tons of pitches. And I mean, I would say for people who are interested in pitching, like consider the demographic of the publication you're pitching. No one wants an inbox full of irrelevant pitches, essentially pitches that are irrelevant to the reader, have a point of view, you know, and I think don't be so seduced by by what's cool now. You know, what do you care about? What kind of piece can you bring a unique point of view to? That's much more interesting for an editor to read about than, oh, you know, the latest this that was cool and buzzy yesterday. You know, I think you get so many of those. It's like if you have a unique point of view or a unique experience of something, pitch that. Don't be so seduced by feeling like you have to pitch what everyone's talking about right now. And I think it's also about making it really easy on the life of your editor. So, you know, make it set it out. It sounds obvious, but set it out really clearly. Like Rachel says, say why why would their readers specifically be interested in this? Why why is this a good story for this moment? Exactly how you kind of think to format it, who you might want to interview, where you might want to stay, and just really clearly set out because it's it's amazing how many people don't. <laughs> That's yeah, really helpful. I would totally agree. There's a really glamorous side to travel writing. Is it really as glamorous for you as it appears from the outside? <laughs> I think it can completely depend. <laughs> um, I have definitely been to some absolutely incredible places, some incredible hotels, met amazing people. Um, so yeah, I would say there is an amazing side to it um, that it that can't that can't be denied because it's just being able to have these experiences in in far flung and and closer places but uh, but of course there's you know there's always the work aspect to it you'll be meeting various people who are maybe connected to the hotel and that's it's that slight feeling of you know you're always slightly on um so you're meeting interviewing you know it's amazing but it's still obviously work yeah of course it's still working Rachel what about you although you seem to have have had quite a quite a lovely summer given it's lockdown <laughs> yeah I have I've definitely made the best of it I would say you know yes realistically yeah it is so glamorous it's so fun it's such a privilege and I love every second of it but as Kate says 
there is all the dinners and the meetings, et cetera, with people connected to the property. You know, you have to, within the travel industry, there's so much, and I'm loath to use this word, but there's so much networking involved because this entire industry runs on relationships. And, you know, you are on, you're on all the time. And yes, you're on a beautiful beach in Fiji, and then you're pegging it back to the room to flesh out a story or fix something that's gone wrong on WordPress or whatever. But that's that's just the job. But at the same time, you know, things go wrong, flights get missed, you're suddenly schlepping all your luggage onto a 6am, you know, rickety train from Rome to some other airport and things break. And there's always there's (laughs) always the dramas. It's not definitely not always as as smooth as it looks. But no, I mean, I love it. And I think it's an amazing industry to be in. And it's, it's really good fun. I have to say I have no complaints. (laughs) <laughs> there are no Instagram filters covering the reality of the travel. <laughs> there oh, no, I'm definitely not Instagramming the, you know, 6am, like mascara stuff no. halfway down your face, bolt for the train that you're about to miss and then half your luggage left behind in the car. You know, I've had so many disasters, but uh, you just have to roll with it. And I just don't take any of it too seriously. I think that's the way to deal with it. That's quite right. Just don't take it too seriously. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Are there any resources that you think are useful for aspiring travel journalists maybe they can tap into? Well, I mean, as I kind of was talking about before, I think Instagram is a is a brilliant resource for make kind of making these connections and, you know, possible work coming out of it. But I would just say to just read, read, read. I mean, in terms of being a good writer, I think it's always about reading. And I would just have a kind of stack of magazines supplements um newspapers online platforms that you just just continually read so you see what you really get to know these publications so that when you do pitch you're pitching really accurately and you're not pitching a non-sustainable story to a to a to a brand that or a platform that really only deals in sustainable travel or that you know you're getting the market right or the readership right and it's only going to make your own writing better the more you read I would agree with Kate like I think information has never been more accessible there has never been so much free information and free education available to people if you want to be a well a writer in general or a travel journalist you know there's a million webinars these days so many of the top writers like Alexander Chi etc are all hosting these webinars and yes oftentimes you do have to pay but you you have to invest at the end of the day in your career and in your education to satisfy that career. But I would say connect with people on Instagram, do listen in on all the lives, do do the webinars, read, 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 like pick a couple of your favorite travel writers and just read everything that they write and grow to understand their style, the way they approach things across the whole spectrum. You know, you can read the Sophie Roberts of the world who are trekking around Siberia and going out to Chad and doing all this really cool off the grid adventure-filled, wanderlusty travel. Stephanie Danler writes incredible travel pieces. There's a couple in Travel and Leisure. Mine through the archives of online publications. Have your magazine stack. Yeah, read, 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 and just connect with as many people in an authentic fashion, if you can, as possible. And practice writing, you know, write every day. That's fantastic. Yeah, know your stuff. Keep the info in the back pocket. Know what everybody's doing. Be on top of everything. I think that's probably the most useful advice. If journalists want guidance on payment rates, what would you advise or resources to look at for that? I'm terrible at that kind of thing. I'm <laughs> I find it crippling to have to talk about money or ask for more money. I mean, and I'll admit that. I think 
the best thing well in my experience to do is is just build up the courage to ask other people that you know in the industry or who you who, who you're friendly with you know I think transparency around pay is just such a crucial building block towards equality and, and fairness but it is it's so nauseating to have to try and ask and find out but that's the only advice that I have is just simply ask a friend or ask someone you know in the industry and hope that they give you a straight answer and I know it varies hugely between the states and and Europe and the UK but um that's how I, that's how I've always approached it yeah I would agree I mean there 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 isn't really any there aren't any clear parameters on this and it's just like Rachel says, getting to know what what each publication pays, but it's it's worth bearing in mind, especially in the UK, that brands pay more than publishers and print still tends to pay more than digital. So just maybe if you kind of think about what you're happy with earning, but adjusting that for different platforms and brands versus publishers. Really helpful. I'm going to talk about where we want to travel this year. Are there um, stories or destinations that you're really excited to cover in 2021? I, on my list so far, um, I am desperate to go skiing in the Dolomites. Um, I have been hearing a lot about this area. I feel like a lot of people are talking about it and wanting to go there, probably because it combines um, food with skiing. I would also love to do um, some of the more under-the-radar Italian islands um, like Giglio and Ponza which are the kind of places that sort of chic Romans go to. Um, and it's that slight low-key lux that's a, that's a slight world away from the Amalfi coast and places like that. And then somewhere a bit further flung, Japan is always top of my list. Um, no plans to go there yet, but it's it's probably the place I would most like to go that's sort of beyond Europe. Yeah, when I'm thinking about this year, um, I have to say I'm hugely excited for Africa. I was in Zambia when the world started to shut down. I'd been on this incredible trip through Botswana with wilderness safaris, and um, I'm very excited to go back. And I'm hoping, hoping to go to Namibia. I just really want to sort of get more stuck into the whole scene down there, see what people are doing. I'm interested in conservation, anti-poaching, and you know, they are expensive, but those trips, like if you pick the correct safari company, the correct people to do it with are so impactful. And it's and it's an incredible experience. I mean, there's nothing more calming than just floating through the Delta with just natural sounds around you. And I think mm-hmm. like on that theme, I'm just really into the idea of the natural world into the wild for this year. Norway, Sweden, 62 Nord do incredible excursions in Norway, you know, these beautiful family run cabin style lodges on the edge of the fjords, maybe horse riding trips through Tajikistan, things like that are what are really filling my mind for this year. I'm not so much about like the beach for this year, I'm much more about the more extreme outdoorsy, but still locks, still incredible, still very comfortable experiences for people to for people to try and for me to try and also you know obviously Italy always obsessed with Italy I just spent four months in Florence I'm dying <laughs> to go I'm dying to go to Basilicata a former editor of mine wrote an incredible piece for the New York Times last year um, about a trip through there and I've been completely seduced by the idea of sleeping in a cave ever since so <laughs> looking forward to that I think also um there's I've I've I think there's going to be an appetite next year and I, and I would love to do one myself for these kind of 
creative retreats where people maybe there are 10 people um staying in a little hotel and you you have a very communal experience because I think post pandemic if if there is such a thing people will be really craving these connections with other people and these really hyper local experiences wherever they are um so that's also something I would be really interested in writing about these are all I mean completely this slow travel it's considered it's the low-key lux it's you know making the most of all the nature and everything that we can make the most of and moving away from that mad rush and weekends away so these are some lovely places to visit in 2021 if you could work remotely from anywhere for the whole year where would it be for me it's it's always Greece I'm a complete Greece obsessive I've spent the last sort of 10 months learning the language um I love the food I love the people I love the warmth I love the approach to life and hospitality I've I've normally go to a Greek islander at some point in the year um so I would absolutely kind of park myself on one of the islands maybe one of the Cyclades which has kind of Milos um Serifos I actually went about three years ago to this island Seraphos, which is kind of off the off the main track. And I've I've no idea why, because it's only a couple of hours from Athens on, on a ferry. And it's completely wild. It has about 70 beaches, but nobody on them. There's just one tiny little town in the main harbour, and the rest is just completely wild. And if you just really want to sort of go off grid in Greece, it's it's a beautiful island. It sounds fantastic I can completely see why you'd want to uh, set up shop in, in Greece um, what about you Rachel well now I'm dreaming about Greece but <laughs> if, I could, if I was gonna uh, go anywhere now for the whole of 2021 I have to say I'd go back to Florence I went for a month in August and ended up staying for four months and I mean I'd been you know to the city a bunch before and I did Italian college and whatnot but I just love the lifestyle and I think if you're going to set up camp in any city Florence it's so accessible it's very affordable once you're renting you know you can la dolce vita so hard there it's all about the long <laughs> lazy lunch and the espresso in the morning and it's much less about working frantically until midnight I think the Italians know how to live and um, I would be more than happy to park myself back there for the year and kind of get more stuck into Tuscany and cool small little natural wineries and the hidden towns and um it's just a really really nice life and a total change from the fast pace of London Los Angeles New York which I also love those spots but uh yeah I'm definitely pining pining to return to Italy for sure that's fantastic I go to Florence every year and I I'm absolutely obsessed so I completely agree with all of that yeah I'm obsessed with it they eat there's like 15 things on the menu of every single restaurant and you know what that's fine it's like I'll eat white beans and <laughs> date Florentine and yeah. you know have one of all. Come. <laughs> yeah exactly oh my god I would love to go back I haven't been since I was 16 21 <laughs> trip maybe add that one on <laughs> one final question for all our aspiring travel writers, what would you say is the passport to breaking into travel writing? I'm not sure if I'm answering this correctly, but I think in terms of the way you write when it comes to travel writing, I think it's really thinking about your why, the why rather than the what. So how does a place make you feel and how can you make the reader feel that too? Um, and that I think is the kind of key, the key to really evocative travel writing 
Yeah, I would totally agree with Kate and also curiosity, courage, stellar communication skills and a really well thought out, thoughtful point of view. There's no point in doing anything unless you have a point of view on it. Then you're just, you know, adding another voice to the masses. So cultivate a point of view and stick with it. Thank you both so much. I think it's been incredibly helpful, very useful points for everybody listening to take on board and tackle 2021 with some great travel. Where can we follow you on social media? Kate? You can find me at Kate Lock Travel and Lock is spelt L-O-U-G-H. Um, you can find, well, my obscure Instagram. You can find me at Rachel, A-E-L, underscore McKeon, M-C-K-E-O-N, underscore on Instagram. And um, otherwise, you know, parse through the city guides on Goof and keep up with what we're writing about. Thank you both so much for joining and I wish you a very happy traveling 2021. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, you can catch up on our past episodes where we discuss 2021 wellness as well as food and culture, available on all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also catch all of season one there too.